<laughs> well, thank you. Um, if ever I ask you to consider doing something, it's never with the intent to embarrass you or to put you on the spot. So go to whatever level you're comfortable and then say, I'll take one step. And uh, so thank you. Um, let me, just before we receive the offering, I'd like to give you a, um, <coughs> a state of the church address. Jill and I were asked to come. It was a very long message. I saw the line that said, will you? I scrolled all the way to the bottom and I said, yes. I didn't know, nor did I care, what the conditions were, what the situations were, what the past was. I didn't know that Pastor Rob, our founding pastor, had included my wife in it. And he texts back, does Jill agree? Uh, I thought, well, I didn't even ask her. <laughs> uh, she was on the text, so she saw it. So we said yes. About our third Sunday here, I made it very clear, I hope, and if you haven't heard this, that I didn't want a title of interim. Because you deserve the best. You deserve commitment. And Lord helping us, that's what we want to demonstrate. I know me, and Pastor Rob, our founding pastor, knows our history that when we do this, we've stayed as long as two years. I'm wondering if Yuba City, for us, is going to break that record and be longer than that one. I don't know. All I know is that we ask God to give us Signs of encouragement. And those signs for us weren't necessarily numbers. It was health. And to see the care that you have for one another, to see the love that you have for one another, the love that you have for this church family is one of those signs we've asked for. And we're seeing that. And it seems like every week or so another couple comes in and the challenge for us is we don't know if they're people that have been here for 20 years and they're coming back or if they're brand new. Last week it was a bit awkward, regular folks. We had a couple that were brand new and I didn't know if they were 20 year veterans or brand new. And they were the only people in here because the pastor was dumb enough to take everybody and go in the other room to pray. And, and the fact that they stayed was kind of remarkable. So anyway, um, we're seeing some, some good things, some encouraging things. I can tell you what I'm going to teach on through the summer. So if you're worried about a commitment, that's, that's how far out I'm planning. I thought that would encourage you. It encourages me when I'm that far out, believe me. Because <laughs> as my wife can testify, there's been time the ushers said, when they were handing out the outlines, these are still warm. Think about that and you'll get it in a minute. <laughs> when I came walking in and worship was over and they, somebody is receiving the offering, and now oh, Pastor Mark's going to speak. Oh, and here come the handouts. Oh, they're warm to the touch because they just came off the printer. So we're here. All right? Yes. Now you'll say, well, I was hoping you'd leave. Well, sorry. <laughs> Last week I said something that I want to change, but it's not because of commitment. We had talked about next Sunday just going to some place and 
eating somewhere and just being in a, as a group, just a thing. And we talked about doing it here at the church, but as you know, we lease our facilities to Hispanic church, and I didn't want to run over, number one. And number two, I didn't feel like cleaning up after. Um, but last Sunday, as we were driving home, um, I was talking with Jill. She has, her father's 98 years old. He lives up on an island in the Puget Sound. And we've been receiving reports about rapidly declining health. And I said, you need to go. And she's been trying to get her sister to go. And so last Sunday after church, I said, just plan it, and I will go with you. So next Sunday after service, we're going to run out the door, not because we, don't, we want to miss pizza. We're actually going to go catch a plane because I didn't want to miss Sunday and being with you. I didn't want you to think, oh, he's abandoning us already. <laughs> I'm just letting you know how I thought. And so we're going to run out of here, catch a plane. It has nothing to do with us loving you or anything. We're just got to get to the airport. Fortunately, it's closer than our house, so we'll go right there. And uh, we're going to go up and see your dad. And uh, so with that in mind, kick the can down the road a week to the 26th. Uh, I asked Catherine if she could make some arrangements. And it's the new, it's the new round table, the pizza royalty place. After church, maybe you could talk there for an hour instead of here. We could go over there, grab something. If you cannot afford a pizza, I'll buy it for you. Um, but let's just have family time. Okay? Would that be all right? All right. With that in mind, let's have the hushers, I mean the ushers, receive the Lord's tithe and our offering. Thank you for your faithfulness. Um, I will tell you this, one of the things, is this okay to say? I'll, I'll say it and then you'll tell me if it's okay. Um, we, at one point, we were told that the district might take over our finances. Well, because of the health that our church is showing and the attendance and everything, they said, well, you can just keep going. So that's a good sign. That means I'm not on life support anymore. <laughs> Father, bless your people. Bless these gifts. May they be used to further your kingdom in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Everybody have an outline? I haven't forgotten communion. It's my concluding point of the teaching today. But you might remind me because I don't have that as my notes that say don't forget communion. One other thing. Uh, on our site, uh, we've started recording the teachings, and we're going to put them up there with a copy or a PDF, I think. I don't know what you're using Greg, uh, PDF, so if you miss a service or you say, he was on fire today and I didn't catch that, you can listen in to all or part. And, and, uh, so anyway, we're going to be doing that on a regular basis, and uh, I'm happy about that. Broadcasting around the world. It's the rivers, right? I grew up in church. We used to sing a song. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed in His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. And then, and then we'd go off into redeemed, redeemed. And there was, always, there was always somebody that hit a really high, odd note. That's what I remember as a kid. Redeemed. Anyway, don't put that. Yeah, edit that out. I'm not sure I understood what it meant. I'm not sure I understood how significant that was. So this morning, since I've been opening each of these teachings with group engagement time, there's no wrong answer. When you hear the word redeemed or redemption, what, what, how would you define it? Or what do you think of when you hear that? Restoration. Restoration. Good. Price has been paid. I heard somebody. I don't know who said it. Oh, well, thank you. Yes. I trade one thing for something else. Okay. Yeah, I think you're green stamps. That's a long time ago. Huh? Wow. 
I told you, I remember the dinosaurs when they roamed the earth. They weren't fossils. Don't you remember the Blue Chip Redemption Center? Now, those of you that are young and don't have a clue what I'm talking about, um, the grocery stores and different store gas stations would give you trading stamps. And there was S&H and Blue Chip were the kind of the two main ones, at least in this region of the world. And they had double stamp Thursday in Sonora at the Pay Less Market. And the Save Mart was Wednesday, so mom had to shop different days. And you'd get these little squares, kind of look like postage stamps. And then you'd get these little books and you'd fill them up. And then you'd take them to the Redemption Center. I always thought that was kind of like church, but it wasn't. You just traded in a bunch of those for some stuff. Right? Why do we need to be redeemed? Born in sin. We're lost. We can't pay the price. Okay, good. You know, there's some people today that don't believe we need to be redeemed. It's just... Yeah, the fact that, that if I ask the question, do we need to be redeemed or why do we need to be redeemed, it kind of implies that maybe we're out of our right status. Doesn't it? So grab your notes. Let me fly through them quickly. Redeem. It means to buy back or pay off. Now, we kind of, you remember what was the first series of teachings I did was from Ruth, and that's the story of the Redeemer. The Redeemer is one who came along and said, okay, I'll I'll pay a payment. And particularly a family Redeemer would be someone, this property is going to be lost. It's going to go into foreclosure or others are going to take it. The Redeemer would be the one that would come and say, whatever debt's on this land, I'll pay it so that it stays in the family name. It was particularly common in the, the death, say, of a, a family member, and now you have a widow. And so it provided a way for the property to remain with the family, and yet it provided finance for the widow to take care of the property. It's, it was a wonderful thing. It's a thing that God put together. But he put it together to show us something as an example of what he was doing for us. Does that make sense? So to recover by payment, to exchange to free from distress or harm. And this idea of buying back implies that something has been sold or perhaps it has been stolen. Um, Redemption includes ransom, ransom and substitution, which is repayment. It includes release from and restoration to ones with a fundamental right or interest, which is kind of a renewed relationship. It implies release from slavery or from bondage, which in our case, we've been freed from bondage to sin and Satan. And last, it implies the recovery of property, so the restored. Why do we need to be redeemed? Because we're all been lost. You'll say, you know, Pastor, I'm not sure I get this whole thing. In fact, I'm not sure I get God. God is incredibly just. He's the fairest of the fair in fairness. And if he creates an operational system that says this is how it's going to be, then that's how it's going to be. And even if someone breaks that, there's not going to be, okay, I'm sorry. It's It's all good. No. Let me tell you what happened. God wanted a family. So he created a place for his family to live. We call it earth. He put us on here with all of this stuff. He made us last. And what did he say? It's yours. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue. Subdue didn't mean put it under your thumb, but manage it. You're you're the uh, steward of what's here. And for two chapters, for two chapters, we didn't mess it up. And then Genesis 3 hits. I don't know what people are thinking when they listen to snakes. (laughs) I've kind of wondered what that snake was like. 
because one of the curses of that snake was that he'd forever crawl on the ground. So I'm wondering, did he have legs? I don't know. But can you imagine, because Satan has to embody things, he uses others' bodies, so Satan uses a snake to talk to somebody and say, you're a perfect people created in a perfect place that walk daily with a perfect God, but he's lying to you. He's really a bully. Did he really say, first thing Satan says to man is, did God really say, don't eat or touch or anything or you'll die? Well, that's what he told us. Well, close. And what does Satan come back with? He's a bully. He's trying to hide something from you. There's something better for you. Don't believe the bully. Eat of it. And he knows that you will become like him. And we bought it. We walk with God every day. A snake shows up and says, did he really say? And we go, well, yeah. You really, he just doesn't want you to be him. And so what happens? Man disobeys. We did die. Spiritually, we died at that moment in time. And the rest of us get to die or be born dead. Now think, think it through a minute. We're born dead. Physically, we're alive, but spiritually, we're dead. And at that moment in time, when that disobedience and that sin happened, we died spiritually. But there was also something that you don't see. There was an exchange. Because God is fully just and fair. He said, you get to own the keys to the place as long as you follow the rules to the place. But when you break the rules to the place, you are handing this off. I'm not going to hand this to my wife because she's not the devil. <laughs> no one sit in his chair. Satan was rightly given authority. Now, I didn't say he got it righteously. When you get something by lying and deceit, that's, that's not righteous. But the transaction was okayed. But here's the good news, friends. God wasn't surprised that day because he said, I knew you were going to do that. But because I didn't want to force you to love me because I want a family that loves me because they want to, I already have a plan in place. And in Genesis 3, which is go back a couple of weeks ago, what happened there? He said, okay, Satan, you have the keys now, but there's coming one, a seed of the woman, the one you deceived. There's coming someone from her line that's going to crush your head. And that one that comes is going to take back the keys and give them back to their rightful owner. That's redemption. That's redemption. <laughs> so what does redemption mean? Are you ready to fill some things in? Number one, it means to be rescued from the clutches of Satan. Rescued from the clutches of Satan. We were in Satan's grasp because we willingly put ourselves there. You'll say, well, I wasn't in the garden. I didn't do it. Well, had you been, you would have. Psalms 106 says, he saved them from the hand of the foe, from the hand of the enemy. He redeemed them. You see, God in his power could have just said, give me back those keys. They're mine. That's like my one-year-old grandson. Mine. Everything is mine. But because he's extremely, ultimately fair and just, while they were stolen through deception, they were rightly taken because they were surrendered And guess what happened? 
on that day that Satan gleefully announced that the Son of God was dying and he'd killed an innocent man and he broke the rules. And so the authority keys Jesus took back rightly and righteously. Jesus' mission on this earth was to set people free. Isaiah 42 says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Kind of sounds like me before I met Jesus. Second, we're redeemed from the curse of the law. We're redeemed from the curse of the law. Galatians 3 says, Christ set us free from the curse of the law. He did it by becoming a curse for us. It is written, everyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 21. What does the Bible say? The wages of sin is death. So if you sin, you get paid for it. Guess what you get paid? Death. What is sin? It's disobeying God. The word in the Greek is hamartia, which means literally to miss the mark. That's how I always remember that. Hamartia means to miss the mark. So God set a standard. You've got to be righteous. Oh, I missed the mark. I've sinned. Well, how do I know? I only know if there's a measure. Guess what the measure was? The law. You know, if you don't know, if you're driving to Sacramento and there's never a sign there that says this construction zone is 55, you you can be breaking the law, but you don't know it. But the minute they stick the sign out there, you know it. And now they put a sign out there that says, Mark, you're going 17 miles. Don't do the math. You're going 17 <laughs> miles over what you should be. I can't listen to this man. He speeds. <laughs> the suggested speed. Yeah. Teenagers. All right. <laughs> Edit that out, too. Uh, number three. We're released from bondage to sin and iniquity. Released from bondage to sin and iniquity. The prophet Micah says, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. Bondage changed. We all have been in bondage. And some of us maybe still have areas that we need God to free us. What's the difference between sin and iniquity? I I grew up thinking they were kind of the same thing. It's like... Sin and real sin. But let me tell you the difference. Sin is the action. When I don't step over the line, they step over the line, guess what? I just sinned. But iniquity, here's what it means in both Hebrew and Greek. It means inner bent or tendency. So if I'm here and there's a line and I'm living all the time like this, that's an inner bent. You want the best illustration I have of that? If you go down to Pacific Grove, Monterey, you'll see cypress. And have you seen how the cypress limbs are? They're all like this. You never see them turn this way. Why? Because there's prevailing wind there that blows on them, and those branches would be weak. But they turn like this. It's kind of like an airplane, you know, a lift, and it's all good. An iniquity is an inner bent, and many of us have iniquities that come from our family because we were around them all the time, and they always did... And so to deal with that constant influence, we just kind of develop. Is this making sense? I'll tell you one that I grew up with. My parents were pastors. 
but I grew up hearing from my mother every week, we're going to be a little short. Do any of you know what she meant? Not enough money. There was never going to be enough money. Every week we were a little short. They borrowed from Mark. I was the banker for my parents. They always paid me back, but we're going to be a little short. I never missed a meal. I never got the biggest piece of steak I wanted, but we had it every week. But we were always a little short. And you grow up with that, and so then you get to be an adult, and suddenly I was um, conditionally generous. Conditionally. Conditionally generous. Well, it looks like there's going to be extra here. <laughs> but on the weeks that it looked like we might be a little short... It was an inner bent. It was a message that I heard all the time growing up. I get it. My parents pastored a church, and their salary was, Pastor, come, we'll give you $15 a week whether you need it or not, which Dale can testify is more than what I make here. (laughs) That wasn't a fishing. I don't care. That's not what this is about. But do you, do you, do you hear what happens? So there's, a, there's an inner tendency. That's what an iniquity is. And here's the good news. Redemption not only frees me from bondage to sin, of having to break the law, it takes away the tendency. I'd rather have the tendency broken than the action, because if I'm not tending that way, I'm probably not going to do it. And thank you. Wow, we have life. That's fabulous. <laughs> Look at what Psalm said. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. The, iniqui- the, the fact that you're leaning that way, I forgive. And not just say it's okay. I'm going to make it so that that bent isn't there anymore. When we dedicated Brinkley, who's our oldest granddaughter... My daughter, son-in-law, and our other kids all stood up there, and we held little Brinkley. And here's what I said. Jeff and Heather, you've both been raised in Christian homes. Heather, you know what it's like. You know things that mom and dad did right. You know what they are. Keep doing them. Let that be an inheritance for your family and for your children. And then I said, and Heather, you know the things that we did wrong. How many pastors dedicate a baby and say that? (laughs) You know what we did wrong. Draw a line in the sand just like you would in your checkbook and say, in our family, that curse, that iniquity, that tendency is broken. Forgive us. We did the best we could. Don't hold it against us. Forgive us, but make a declaration. Jesus, with your help and grace, we're going to go this way because it's right. That's right. Even those of us that had the greatest parents have bents. D. Our debt has been repaid with complete compensation. I need some of you, I can come and touch you on the shoulder this morning. I don't know you that well, but I know if you get this into your spirit, it will change your life. Repaid with complete. Circle it, highlight it, make it all bold, caps, whatever. What are you saying? For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with gold or silver, which will lose value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God that made that payment. There is nothing more that is needed to make that payment. Listen to me, saints. So many people in the church come to Christ and they realize, oh, what a mess I am. And we get saved by grace. And then we spend the next 30 years trying to make it all right and make up the difference. There wasn't a shortage. When Jesus paid off the debt, he paid off the debt.
He paid off the debt. It wasn't like, okay, can I use you as an example? Okay, let's say you have a thousand dollar debt. Let's pay off your debt. I'll give you seven fifty. Well, you'd be grateful at seven fifty, but you still got to come up with two fifty. That's not the deal God made with His people. He said, "I'm going to send a payment. I'm going to send a payment that's complete, that takes care of all of it, so that from now on you walk in freedom, not with this overwhelming sense that I still have a debt hanging over my head." Because I knew you would struggle with this, I'm going to read it in another version. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold. It's hard to think of silver and gold as being perishable, but in God's kingdom, it's perishable. That you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Redeemed. Now let's talk about restoration, which came up earlier. Thank you. I believe you shared that with us. Restoration means to bring back into existence. So it implies it might have been completely gone or dead. It also means to bring back to a former original or normal condition. Some of you maybe have restored furniture in one of those seasons of ministry where we were between churches. I worked for Jill's aunt, and we had a furniture store, and in the back they had these things. When you have some spare time, Mark, can you refinish it? And then we'd put it out on the floor, and we'd call it an antique, <laughs> which basically all I'd do is go to Indiana and go to any farmhouse, and the thing was an antique factory. Restoration means to bring back to a state of health, soundness, or vigor. I'm going to stop right there. Some of us have gone through life, and life has kicked us so hard that, yeah, we're still living and we're still moving, but there is no vigor. That means strength, vitality. Jesus restores vitality. And last is to put back to a former place or a former position. We know what restoration is. Our marriage has been restored. Oh, pastor, you mean you had marriage trouble? Yes. <laughs> Look for another church. You have a pastor that's human. And God did it, and he did it in a moment's time, and we didn't realize how he'd done it in a moment's time. And it wasn't until she, we had a class that we taught that had gotten pretty large. And one Sunday I had this brilliant idea, why don't I take the men and you take the women? And so she went and taught the women of our class, and I taught the men. And then the next Sunday we're in front of that group, about 100 people or so, and I, I said, yeah, I, I remember the point when I thought, I'm a pastor. I can't get a divorce. It'll ruin me. Uh, so, Lord, you're just going to have to take Jill home. Now, before you judge me, before you judge me, Jan Owen, our pastor's executive secretary, starts laughing and said, Pastor Mark, Jill told us the same thing about you last week. <laughs> So, if our prayers were answered, we'd both be dead. <laughs> Is it okay that I share? We, we, have, we have real feet of clay. We have, we have feet of clay. Pastor Rob, he, obviously, he's the founder of this church, and he talks to me. How's it going? How's it going? Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We're praying with you and believing God for a resurrection. And I, thank you. Thank you. And that's all. So I'm not hearing anything bad. And I said, I must be doing something wrong. <laughs> I'm enjoying the honeymoon. That's all I'm going to say. What? are the outcomes of that redemption, of things being paid off here. I'll get serious now. It's restoration. What gets restored? Number one, reestablish relation. 
Reestablish relationship. You remember how I told you how it was? We walked with God every day. That's how it was. Right? In Genesis, we walked with God every day. Can you imagine? You spend a day, you run across five questions you don't have answers for. That's all right. We got a meeting with Jesus later in the afternoon. He always shows up around dinner time. Convenient, isn't it? Why don't we ask him? Why don't we ask him? Why don't we ask him? God knew we were finite, and so he couldn't download the whole thing on us because we'd have been overwhelmed. But one of the great outcomes of restoration is reestablished relationship that you can know and commune and fellowship with God. But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, who who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned or called you by name. Here's the line you want to highlight. You are mine. You are mine. In a couple of weeks, I'm teaching, I don't remember when it is, but I wrote the preview this morning on God's presence. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Say, why does he say it twice? Leave you means I'll never physically abandon you. Forsake you means I'll never be emotionally distant. We've been married. We have not been unmarried. But there's times I have forsaken her because I'm emotionally distant. God says, even when you're kind of bratty, I will never be emotionally distant. Even though you deserve it. No, I'm just teasing. (laughs) That was a mark, not God. (laughs) Jeremiah 31, it says, At that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel. They will be my people. Exodus 15, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. In other words, not only do you get to be guaranteed that you're in his family, you also have a guarantee that you're in his presence. If you don't sense him, it's not him moving. B, Recovery of stolen things. My parents pastored the Lodi Church when I was a little kid. We had, uh, it was their 25th anniversary, and so in those days, that was a, you know, you had a reenactment, and and then everybody came over the house for a silver anniversary party. And... um, there was a tree there, a, little, a money tree, they called it, and it had 25 silver dollars hanging on it. And that, like, in 1962, that was 25 bucks. That meant something. And uh, someone came into our house as part of that. And about a week later, we came home and we had been robbed. And even... Even the silver dollars that had been stuffed in a sock and hidden in the sock drawer, you know, because we can think of those neat places. Criminals would never think to look in the socks. (laughs) I remember in Lodi, no air conditioning, Lodi, think of where I'm talking about. They wrote a song, Oh Lord, Stuck in Lodi Again. There's a reason for writing that song. (laughs) And to be cool in the evening, you do get a delta breeze there, and we would open the windows, but I was terrified of leaving the windows open because that person was going to come back and steal from us again, and he'd come through my window and he'd step on me. So I thought, if I keep the covers over my head, then he won't know I'm in the bed. Sometimes the damage from having things stolen from you puts you in a fear mode. Here's what redemption means. I will restore, and one of the things I'm going to restore is everything that was stolen. Let me give you what some of those things are. 
peace, joy, mental balance so that you can see things and, and see it in balance and not have you ever had one of those cycles go, you know, that you're it's like it's why I never get out of the car in the middle of a song. Especially a bad one. Because what do you end up doing the rest of the day? One of my coworkers came in the other day at work and he's whistling and I go, What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. He goes, yeah, I was listening to K-Love, and when he got in the car, he was stuck on that line. So that's the part we kept hearing whistled was, what a beautiful name it is. It's like I wanted to go over and jar him. <laughs> well, that's a good loop. Yeah. But we've all had bad loops because of things stolen. Well, here's the good news, friends, that Jesus said, when I redeemed you, I restore, and I'm going to recover what's stolen, and I'm going to give it back to you. Remember the keys? Who did they end up back with? The owner. Joel chapter 2, I will repay you for the years the locusts have... Listen to me, friends. I take, take this as Jesus talking to you. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locust and the young ones, and the other locusts too, and the swarm. My great army that I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. How many have ever heard that Jesus is the Lamb of God? Read the Old Testament. How many lambs were there? There's billions of them till the blood just ran out of the temple and down the street. But that once a year thing, there wasn't one sacrifice. There were two. I don't remember reading that. It's, uh, I'm running for the door, our pastors. You know, I'm not changing anything. It's in the Bible. I wouldn't make it up. There was the lamb that was sacrificed. The blood was shed. Why? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's one of God's rules. And so, okay, there is. But guess what else? That, that dealt with the sin payment. But what deals with the shame? It's something called the scapegoat. And the high priest went over to this goat and he laid hands on the goat and he said his job was to confess the sins of the people for the last year. Dude, get somebody young and vital. Thank you for laughing because that was a joke. Because an old man like me couldn't get them all out in one standing. Can you imagine your job is to go in and confess the sins of the people? And lay hands on the head of this goat, this animal, the scapegoat. And here's what was done with that scapegoat. It was taken out and it was marched out through the city and it was marched out into the country. And one person was assigned, take it way out there where no one will ever find it ever again. And leave it there and let it wander off and let there be no identification so no one ever knows. And it was a symbol of what God was doing with your shame. So many of us get that we're forgiven. Thank God my sins are covered by the blood, but I live in shame and disgrace because I made this mistake. Shame is gone. Thank you, dear. It says there, never again will my people be shamed. I'm not proud that we had marriage difficulties, but I don't walk around with my head down, oh, we were not perfect. I got more stories for you on things we're not perfect, but we're going to be here a while. We'll save some. <laughs> Letter or C, revival of God's indwelling spirit. Afterward, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. I have a vision. I have a vision. 
Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I have a vision. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Do you see one of the things that redemption promises us is restoration of the presence of God? And the good news is that we live in a time when it's every day. It's every hour. It's every moment. That doesn't get you. I'll tell you why it gets me. Because there was great people in the Old Testament, like prophets, that the Spirit descended on them. They wrote something down, he left. It wasn't until Jesus arrived. How did John know it was Jesus, that he was the Messiah? The one on whom the Spirit descends and remains. And what did Jesus come to do? To restore everything that was stolen from us. What was one of the things stolen? The ever-presence of God in our lives every day. Do you get it? Every day. I'm excited about that. That when I don't know what to do, I've got an inner guide. What do I do here? Glad you asked. (laughs) It's never a busy signal. Or a bot. Why don't you just tell us why you're calling? (laughs) Letter D, rebuilding of the real you. Rebuilding of the real you. I used to believe that God made a mistake when he made me. Because I was sensitive. And sensitivity was a female trait. In my view. And I thought, great, he put a woman inside a man's body. (laughs) All these other guys, they can say stuff and hurt people's feelings and just be oblivious to it. I think about saying it and I feel bad. When I say he rebuilds the real you, when God put us together, he put us together in perfection. Now, what's neat about God is he can make every one of us different, yet perfect. And he didn't have to give one of us everything. He could spread it around. So when you put us together, we are a complete thing. What is the real you? It's not just your spirit. Some people think, oh, thank God Jesus restored my spirit, but the rest is a mess. No, 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 no. When you accept Christ as your Savior, listen to me, I'm almost done. Your spirit is restored to relationship with God in a moment's time. But your mind, your emotions, and will, we know that as your soul, kind of reflects some of the damage of the warfare. Look what David wrote. He restores my soul. That's a promise. That he'll give you clarity of thought and fix your mind. Break the bad tapes. That he will let you be balanced emotionally. There's there's nothing wrong with emotions. Some of you laughed yesterday. Some of you cried based on football. (laughs) I get so intense I can't watch, so I don't. My personality type is to be competitive about anything. Don't put me in a preacher contest because I have to be the best. (laughs) But here's the thing. Here's the promise. I I will fix you. I will fix you. I will fix you emotionally. That doesn't mean I'll take away emotion. I'll just put them in balance. That you'll, be, you'll feel but not be controlled. There's a difference. Isaiah 51, those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. Psalms 51 written by this same guy that said he restored my soul. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Psalms 13, turn back, respond to me, O eternal one, my true God. Put the spark of life in my eyes or I am dead. 
Amos 9. In that day I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be. If you want to look at a great example of how we're designed, there was the nation of Israel, there's the city of Jerusalem, there's a temple inside. We're kind of the same way. We have a physical body. We have a soul, a mind, emotions, and will. That's kind of like a Jerusalem thing. What happened in the Old Testament, the walls were broken down, the city was vulnerable. The walls get broken down in our lives. We're, we're vulnerable in the soulish area, the mind, emotions, and will. That's where the attack comes. But in the middle of all that, since the temple of God and the Old Testament, in the center of us, since the spirit of God, our spirit revived. Jesus came along in Matthew 14. And it says, all who touched it, not him, this is it, was the hem of his garment, were completely healed. Or one version says, were made thoroughly well. So the word diasodso means saved through and through, saved completely. So what is our response to all this good news? Yep. Say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. I did it in a different version. Those of us that have been around a while know it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What are some keys? Number one, the redeemer always goes first. He has to initiate it. Go ahead and skip that. Yeah, that's all right. The Redeemer always goes first. The Redeemer will come to Zion right again to rescue those of Jacob's holy line who turn their backs on wrongdoing. This is what the Eternal One declares. In other words, he initiates it. You don't redeem yourself. The Redeemer initiates it. Number two, our redemption is complete. Ephesians 1, 7, Titus 3 both remind us that he came to save us not because of what we've done, but because of his mercy. Let me say this to your friends. The grip of your past is broken. Full forgiveness is available, and God's promise of restoration is available for all. We've been redeemed.